This is what it's all about. This is where the addiction is created. They're the drug dealer and you become dependent on the drug. You met a drug dealer who introduced you to some delicious and highly addictive feelings. You were dosed big time at the beginning and you got hooked because you liked how it felt. Who wouldn't? In the early stage of the relationship, and this could have been an intimate relationship, friendship, a family member, coworker, boss, neighbor, or anyone else in your life, and of course the details will vary based on that kind of relationship, but the overall pattern is the same. The abuser likely made a massive investment of time, energy, attention, gifts, contact, engaging conversations, words of affirmation, flattery of your deepest needs, intense sex, commonalities, future painting, and basically making you feel like you were the center of their world. Idealization is the technical word for this phase, and love bombing is the colloquial term we use because it's a graphic on-point description of the bombardment of love-like behaviors that you experienced. All of that created a biochemical flood of oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, and adrenaline. Your body became addicted to the biochemicals, while your mind became addicted to the delicious feeling that made everything in your life right. So naturally, you reciprocated and bumped them up on your priority list. You started investing heavily in the relationship, and you were in deep before you knew it. It felt so good, you probably didn't even notice or give much weight to the little slips of their tongue, the subtle shit tests they use to see where your boundaries are, how much you value yourself, trust yourself, respect yourself, and how much self-confidence you have to stand by it all. You might have detected some of these moments, but minimized, rationalized, and justified them just as the abuser would have done if you brought it up. That's part of the DARVO response. Deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. Check out my YouTube video on that if you haven't seen it yet. It's predictably how abusers react when you call them or their behavior out. In that early phase, they made you the object of their obsession, and so you became obsessed with them and the relationship. Things were going well, maybe even too good, Until that fateful moment when everything shifted. That's when the devaluation started. Now in this phase, everything the abuser did that made you melt earlier will now be used to burn you. It will come in the form of triangulation. Pitting other people against you, comparing you to others, praising others in front of you and ignoring you, flirting with others, etc., the silent treatment when they withdraw and ignore you, stonewalling when they refuse to discuss something that you bring up that's not okay for you, criticism, insults, blame shifting, making it your fault, unexplained disappearances and then dismissive remarks when you want to talk about it, guilt tripping, pity ploys, lies, infidelity, provocations to make you look and feel crazy sabotaging of your goals, success, and happiness, hiding information or other important things from you, and of course, the smear campaign where they spread rumors about you. 
the destruction they will rain down upon your life can be more obvious, which is the overt form, or it could be much more subtle, which is the covert form. It could also be a combination of in-your-face or almost undetectable. Chances are, at some point, you felt something shifted, and you knew it wasn't okay. That was your intuition begging you to look at reality. Reality is a hard sell when the illusion is so damn beautiful. Likely what happened when you started to perceive the devaluation was you stepped up and started working harder. Instead of withdrawing your investment like a person would do when they see a stock action starting to drop, you started investing more. You forgot about your value and worthiness. All you could think about was getting that drug fix again. If only we could go back to the good times, then everything will be okay. If only they would just go back to their good side, then I'll be happy again. Anytime you hear your mind telling the if-only stories, you know you're in trouble. You started working harder and harder to get those little fixes that they dosed you with here and there as they intentionally stoked your hope in order to keep you hanging on. You surrendered your dignity in the humiliating act of begging for their attention when they ignored you. You embarrassed yourself, acting out your jealousy when they triangulated others with you. You started telling yourself that you're not good enough. You started feeling more and more insecure about yourself and doubtful of your own perceptions of reality. Like any addict who runs out of their drug, you became desperate for any little hit you could get. You lost your self-control and were willing to do degrading, humiliating things in desperate attempts to get another hit of those feelings that felt so good earlier on. If listening to that gave you chills or made you feel sick to your stomach, you know you stumbled upon some ugly-ass truth. That cycle goes round and round until you set new boundaries that starve the abuser from the narcissistic supply they were getting from you. Check out the podcast episode on narcissistic supply if you haven't heard that one yet. When you starve them from that supply with your new boundaries... Initially, the abuse usually gets worse as they're pushing your boundaries and attempting to manipulate you into dropping them. If that doesn't work, then they will seek new supply elsewhere. That may lead to infidelity for a while as they juggle both supply sources, or maybe they discard you immediately in a cruel and or humiliating act. Maybe you didn't even set boundaries. You just kept trying and trying, and in the process, they abandon you harshly in favor of their new supply. They seemingly forgot all about you, like you forgot about the piece of trash you threw in the garbage bin that morning. There are no words to explain the mindfuck that happens when someone gushes on you, telling you how much they love you one moment, and then drops you like they never even knew you, just hours or days later. Or maybe... You realized that things weren't okay, so you started googling keyword terms online, and somehow you stumbled upon the motherload called narcissistic abuse that made everything suddenly make sense. My very first video on YouTube from January 2016 was called, Did This Happen To You? It was a pretty raw description of the kinds of crazy making that you experienced during narcissistic abuse. 
A lot of people told me that video was their wake-up call. Maybe you found other resources and keyword terms like gaslighting, psychopath, passive aggression, triangulation, etc. One way or another, if you found a rabbit hole and dove in, you might have decided to take the advice you got online, which was to go no contact with the abuser, and so you cut them off. You ended the relationship, but likely quickly found out the abuser didn't accept the terms of that finality. That's when you probably experienced the hoovering where they try to suck you back in. The last podcast episode was on hoovering, by the way. Maybe you were educated enough and strong enough to resist the hoovering attempts, and so you avoided getting pulled back into the abuse cycle. Maybe you weren't so fortunate, and you went back in for another round or six. Statistics say the average victim goes back seven times. Every time you go through that abuse cycle, things intensify. The abuse escalates. Your tolerance to the abuse escalates. When you go back after the hoovering, you go through an expedited version of the longer abuse cycle that you were first introduced to in that relationship. Instead of the phases lasting months or years, they last weeks or days or even hours. In one hoovering conversation, you might have gone around that cycle several times. If you want to see real-life examples of what that looks like, watch the video I did on leaving the narcissist before the discard, where you'll see the manipulator do that in text messages. He goes back and forth from sweet to mean in no time. By that point, they're just desperate to try anything that works to get you hooked back in again. Both the discard and leaving before the discard are hard. The advantage of the discard is they're usually so busy with their new supply that they don't bother you, at least not for a while. The disadvantage is the discard is often deeply devastating as they will go for the jugular in their grand finale display of grandiosity and superiority. The advantage of leaving before the discard is you save yourself from that devastation and humiliation. But the challenge is, you have to be even stronger in order to resist the often immediate and intense hoovering that will follow. Not every abuser discards, and not every abuser hoovers. It all depends on their particular circumstances and current levels of supply, as well as your level of awareness and assertiveness about what's okay for you and what's not. When they know you figured them out and there's not a drop left for them in you, they will usually move on and forget your name. Even still, years later, they could find a way to contact you and try again like nothing happened. Abusers often keep fishing through their Rolodex until they find something that bites. Now reflecting on your relationship, you might be telling yourself, what's with all this codependency bullshit? I'm not codependent. I'm independent. I'm an empath. Sure, you can be both of those and have codependency patterns. Maybe you never had patterns of codependency until an abusive relationship as an adult. But if you're like the vast majority of us, you were programmed into codependency since childhood. If you recognize that you put your needs aside to meet others' needs first, you have codependency patterns. 
if you realize that you abandoned yourself by compromising your worthiness, your values, your self-respect and self-trust in order to stay in a relationship, then you have codependency patterns. If you didn't want to leave the relationship because you wanted to get back to those good feelings you had at the beginning despite the abuse, then you have codependency patterns. Codependency is a form of self-abandonment. It's people-pleasing, plain and simple. It's sacrificing yourself in order to stay in connection with someone else. It's staying in an abusive relationship and hoping things will change if you just love them more, if you just do things more perfectly, if you just had more of an Instagram model body or more money and status symbols, if you just stop getting angry when they do hurtful things. If any of the above sounds familiar, then you develop codependency patterns. This isn't your fault. There's no blame here. There's no shame in admitting that you have codependency patterns. You didn't choose that. You were groomed to develop those patterns in order to make a dysfunctional relationship work. There's a difference between fault and responsibility. If you want to heal yourself and avoid abusive relationships in the future, you've got to take responsibility for yourself and your life now so you can move forward. Otherwise, if you adopt the dangerous mentality of, I'm an empath and abusers just want my light and love, you won't do the work and you'll keep finding yourself in another abuse cycle with new people and you'll keep wondering why it happens. The abuse cycle trains you to develop the codependency. Every time you enter a new abuse cycle, it gets worse. When you meet someone new and everything is great, and then suddenly one day things take that sharp left turn, maybe it's blatant or maybe it's more subtle. If you recognize the feeling immediately and you know your worth, if you're clear with yourself on what your standards are, and then you set a boundary to protect your standards and worth, even if that means walking away immediately without greater proof than that feeling you had, that's when you know you're overcoming the codependency patterns. Your self-worth and your ability to protect your value is greater than your desire to hang out with someone who makes you feel good sometimes. You won't be caught in the cognitive dissonance or giving them a pass or the benefit of the doubt because of the earlier times when things were good. You simply walk away because you know your value and you have faith that one day you'll meet someone who treats you with the respect and honor that you deserve as a human being. Now be careful. That's not the same thing as shutting down and locking yourself off from the world forever. You won't know if you've overcome your codependency patterns until you're taking a risk again to get to know another human being. If you're ready to eradicate your patterns of self-abandonment and people-pleasing, check out my self-care mastery course. I will walk you through the five areas of tactical training in your life and give you powerful challenge work to do at home so you can transform that old self-sacrificing programming into self-trust, self-worth, self-esteem, and self-love.
Whether you came from a family where the narcissist-codependent dynamic existed and you were programmed into the cycle early in life, or you stumbled upon an abuser later in your adult life who preyed upon a deficit that you had, like your lack of boundaries and or self-love, your wound of loneliness and or rejection, a devastating sense of loss that you had suffered prior to meeting the abuser, etc. Either way, you ended up in a similar place. You developed an addiction and your behavior was programmed to please an abuser. You weren't addicted to the abuse. You weren't addicted to the abuser. You weren't even addicted to the love bombing, the things they said and did. You were addicted to the feeling that you got from all of the above because it satisfied a deep need that you had to feel okay, to feel loved, wanted, desired, seen, or heard. It was that feeling that kept you chasing the dragon as you got tumbled through the spin cycle over and over again. No matter how hard you tried or how hard you chased, everything paled in comparison to the initial high that you got. That high made you forget all about your problems, your wounds of loneliness and rejection. It was a beautiful illusion that came with a devastating slap in the face of reality. The good news is like all addictions, you can heal yourself from that addiction and from the codependency patterns by healing the inner wounds that drew you to the drug, which masked the feelings that you didn't want to feel. I'm going to put a link to download a free PDF quick guide on the narcissistic abuse cycle in the show notes. Go ahead and download that, print it out, put it somewhere where you can really see it so you can help yourself focus on the big picture patterns of this abuse cycle so you don't get stuck in thinking back about the good times. And by the way, if you haven't heard the podcast episode on the dangers of love bombing and idealization, check that one out too. Here are a couple short clips from my videos on the big picture of the narcissistic abuse cycle. Hey everybody, I just wanted to bring this quick message to you. This weekend I was talking to someone, it was Mother's Day, she was really struggling, the fact that she had grown up with a narcissistic mother and every time that comes around it's kind of like a trigger. And she was talking about how she really came to realize and had that one major breakthrough where everything started to make sense and she was able to like really get it. And she said that was when she shifted from looking at the individual moments, the individual incidents, the individual experiences, the individual conversations and happenstances versus looking at the overall pattern. It was the point where she realized there was a pattern, that narcissistic abuse has a pattern. There are very predictable stages that take place, but this is the overall pattern. This is what it looks like. And once she saw that pattern, she was able to go, wow, everything made sense. All of those little incidents, you know, she was just desperately grasping on to each of these little incidents, trying to make sense of them, trying to rationalize them, trying to determine, you know, analyzing all of this thing, which we all did. And that's one of the characteristics of narcissistic abuse is the obsession. That's a big part of the PTSD, the CPTSD that takes place after narcissistic abuse, where a person is just obsessed with what happened with the person, with thinking about the person, who they are, how they presented themselves, how sometimes they were like this, but 
then sometimes they were like that. And then each and every little incident and trying to make rationalization out of each and every little thing because they haven't quite seen the whole big picture yet. And it's like, once you're looking at that picture, you just get it, like it's clear. And if you haven't read Psychopath Free by Jackson McKenzie yet, you definitely wanna get that book. That book I think is like the best book out there written about those exact patterns of narcissistic abuse, exactly what it looks like, how it looks, how he, you know, he has different names for each of these little things along the way. And looking at that book for me was like a huge wake up call. I had already accepted the fact that it was narcissistic abuse. I'd heard of it. I'd done some Google searching. Reading that book was just, it's a sanity saver. So I really recommend you read that if you haven't already. And if you're still in that point where you are rationalizing little incidents and pouring so much emotion into certain incidents, like this thing that happened and that thing that happened and just rehashing over and over and trying to make sense of it or desperately trying to get justice for each of those things, step back further and look at the big picture. Look at the patterns. If you're still questioning, was that abuse? It's so clear when you see the big picture that these are patterns of narcissistic abuse, that it's a thing. And, and being able to see that big picture, just it just relieves so much weight because then it's like, you don't have to assign so much weight to each of those past experiences and you can let go of those memories because the flashbacks come in the aftermath. And you can let go of those memories. You can let go of the emotional charge connected to those memories when you realize it wasn't just about that specific thing and that specific thing. You don't have to hang on to that to remember that that was an abusive relationship, to remember that you don't want to go back to that kind of abuse. You don't want to go back to that person. You don't want to accept that same pattern in your life from someone else again in the future. When you can step back and just see that picture, it's just like, ah. Oh. It's like relief. You just you feel like you have your sanity back. You, you remember you're not crazy. That person tried to make you think you're crazy. And it happens to everybody. That is exactly what happens in this form of abuse that is so invisible. You can't put your finger on that one little thing and it's a moving target and it's always moving and you're always trying to find it and they know you can't just put your finger on it until that one day when you realize it's narcissistic abuse and you see the overall patterns. So get the book Psychopath Free if you haven't already. Step back and get the big picture vision. It'll really help you to get perspective. Hey everybody, I wanted to put this message out there because I get a lot of messages with people talking about the confusion part of the abuse and they say, well, sometimes this person is really wonderful and really nice and then sometimes they're really awful and and they go back and forth. I, I did this too. I was in the exact same thing where I was rationalizing, well, you know, they did this awful thing but then I know who they can be and I know who they are sometimes or back in the beginning, you know, when they did this but now for whatever reason I'm justifying the abuse, like why they're treating me this way, why they're showing me that I don't matter, why they're showing me that they don't care about me. So if that's where you're at, where you're looking back, you're looking back and forth, maybe you're watching this on a daily basis, the person just flip-flopping between sweet and mean, idealization and devaluation, kindness and cruelty, and you just can't quite wrap your head around it, and that's why you're really struggling to move on because part of you is still thinking that maybe this person really isn't so bad. And what I want to tell you is that that is the hallmark of abuse. That flip-flop, the back and forth, the sweet, the mean, the idealization, the devaluation, the kindness, the cruelty, that is the hallmark of abuse. That's it right there. It is a cycle. It's not one or the other. It's two sides of the same coin. 
it is one whole thing and that is the cycle of abuse. It goes back and forth and back and forth and it repeats endlessly until you stop that game by getting out. And that's the hard part. That's when you have to realize and tell yourself that sticking around because of what you see sometimes is not worth sticking around because it's a whole picture. You don't just get that part of the person, the nice part, the kind part, whether that's real or fabricated or manufactured to make you think or feel in a certain way, that point doesn't matter. What matters is that they treat you like this and they treat you like that. And it is both, it is not one or the other. And, and that's what you really need to understand is that when you're seeing that pattern, the flip-flop, the back and forth, the 180 degree flip, that is the telltale sign of abuse. That's why you're confused. That's why you're second doubting. That is the whole nature of the abuse is set up to make you self-doubt. That's why they do the sweet and the mean. You know, that's why they have these so that you can be confused, so that you do doubt what's going on. So I wanted to put that out there so that you can really recognize that and really get that into your head. That is the abuse. Okay, I know it's really hard to accept, but you really got to take a look at this as a whole picture, big picture pattern in your life. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough, you matter, and you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.